When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Hey everyone, this is Jade Alicia, and you're listening to The Hook Rock, hosted by Jay Scott. to the hook rocks everybody i'm your host jay scott thanks for coming aboard once again giving us a listen checking us out we are part of the pantheon podcast network a great network of music related podcasts something for everybody all different types of genres different types of topics uh, i always mention my friends at the beginning of every show mistress carrie out in boston Vinny apice carmen apiece ron and Esty on the hanging and banging podcast the number one rated kiss podcast my boys Tom and Zeus on Shout Out Loudcast, as well as Martin Popoff, the rock historian. Check out Pantheon Pods at PantheonPodcast.com. Also follow them on Facebook at Pantheon Pods, as well as Twitter. Follow the Hook Rocks wherever you do podcasts, whether it's Spotify, Apple, Amazon, Google, on every podcast platform. So check that out. Follow us on Twitter at the Hook Rocks, as well as Facebook. Now also on Instagram. We got one post on Instagram where we're building it. We have uh, been promising it for like over a year and we're finally doing it. So uh, check that out. Check out some of our recent episodes. We've done some amazing new music spotlights with Seven Year Witch, Georgia Thunderbolts, Joyous Wolf. We had the Goodbye June album preview with Tyler, Brandon, and Landon, as well as South of Eden. Check out our interview with Scott Gorham from Thin Lizzy where he talks about putting a collection of musicians together and touring under the Thin Lizzy moniker later this year and into next. Check out our year-end celebration, Top 30, six hours of music talk, 160 albums covered, a lot of different contributors, so enjoy that, as well as our live album review with Robin the Hood, where we cover Rockin' the Fillmore by Humble Pie. So check out all those great episodes and more. Don't forget to set your app to automatic download so you get the latest Hook Rocks podcast. 
enjoy your commute with it. Put on the earbuds and tune out your significant other when they're yelling at you because you're listening to Hook Rocks, which helps ease your stress at all at all times. We've got a great episode for you today. Volume three of Conversations and Collaborations. Check out volume one with John Nato from Dirty Honey and Tyler Baker from Goodbye June. Volume two with Travis McCready from Bishop Gunn and Jennifer Lauren from Diamonds and Whiskey. And we've got today two great new emerging bands that I enjoy listening to. One released an album last year, and I mentioned our year-end celebration. I believe it was on several lists. It made several top tens. The album was Mojo Skyline. The band is Dust Coda. And the other guest, the other band is the Black Moods. And I had a pleasure to see them over the summer open up for Dead the Dead Daisies. And they've got some new music coming out in 2022. Uh, their last album featured a great song called Sunshine and uh, happy to have both of them on board today. We've got John Drake from the Dust Coda. We got Josh Kennedy from the Black Moods. What's going on, fellas? Hey, man. Really Hello. good to see you guys. Hey, guys. Finally, we get to meet up. <laughs> yeah, we've had uh, a, co- a lot of stops and starts. And uh, before we got on, Josh, I was telling John that you know, it's a challenge just to do one-on-one interviews, you know, getting schedules to align when we're putting three people together, one lives overseas, one lives in the States, you know, unfortunately there are going to be challenges, but I'm happy that we're doing it because the whole purpose of doing these episodes is to introduce bands to other music, to other bands, introduce bands to, to other, other bands and to have someone who we think very highly of overseas with with the Dust Coda as well as the Black Moods here in the States and kind of merging those two together because we always hear, why don't these bands play overseas or why don't these bands come to America? Well, you know, hopefully we can start developing a fan base in both spots with two great bands. And I'm happy to do it with uh, with both of you today. That's great, man. Happy to be here. Excited. And it's good to meet you, Josh. Nice to meet you, buddy. What time is it there? It's like quarter to six in the evening. Oh, wow. Awesome. I've yet to come over there, so I'm ready to anytime. I see you guys got a, you guys got a pretty good list of tours coming up, right? Yeah. Yeah, man. I'm getting excited. You know, it feels like COVID's kind of gradually, you know, coming to an end and we can start getting out there properly. You know, it's very exciting. Yeah. To go on the road next week. We just played a show last uh, Saturday night in Scottsdale, and you know, you can tell everybody's kind of had enough of it. You know, it was it was it was a great crowd, but there was I mean, the energy was really good because people were sick of that shit. You know, so oh man, I know, I know. We we um we did a headline tour um uh December. To you know, to promote our record, which came out last March, but you know, <laughs> we did it because you know, because of COVID and all that. We just in a we did a small run in Europe, in Germany, and uh, a few other places, and in, in uh, Belgium, I think. Then we did a headline UK tour, and it was the best, just the best. See all these people come out, having heard the record, you know, nine months prior, right. finally, finally getting to come out, and it was almost, it was almost like it worked out because everyone had had like most of the year to listen to the record. Take it in. Yeah. That's great. So when they came and saw it, it was like, yeah, the energy was phenomenal. <laughs> That's awesome. 
Yeah, it's great. Are you guys, are you with Earache Records? Is that right? Yeah. Nice. Yeah, yeah, with Earache. Yeah. How did you guys, you have two albums out, right? Yeah, we got two albums out. Our first album was, uh, uh, we, we released it ourselves. Yeah. Nice. You know, all, all that sort of stuff, just released yeah. it on our own and kept peddling our wares. And then, um, Earache, Earache picked up. The second we we re um self funded Mojo Skyline, we made it ourselves, okay. and then Earache Earache heard it, and they signed us for it. That's great, man! I love that. Yeah, you have a lot yeah, of was, great new bands, including yourself, Scarlet Rebels. I mean, I've just mentioned Goodbye June, um, at the beginning of the episode. You know, I, I had Wayne on from Scarlet Rebels too, as well. They had Temperance Movement. Which I don't know what's yeah. going on with that band, you know, what, if they're going to continue or not. But <laughs> well, uh, yeah, a good roster. That's a tricky. One. Oh yeah, no, Earache is a, it's a, it's, it's a, it's a legendary UK album. You know, if 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 you go back in their back in history, you know, they they started something. Digby, this, you know, the founder, he started an incredible kind of movement of extreme metal back in the eighties and nineties, and um. Then they ventured into more classic rock later in, in, in time. And now obviously they have a lot of rock and roll on them on their roster, but they're, it's a, it's a pretty legendary, pretty legendary album, um, label to be on. Yeah. I like those guys. Yeah. Yeah. They, they, um, they've done a lot for Goodbye June in terms of their presence in the UK and in Europe. Yeah. You know, I mean, for a band from Nashville to kind of have, that success there and have be on that label. I think this is their second album with earache. I think so. The second, um, but they just released that last Friday. Uh, but they do a lot too. You look at their pre-orders, the different color vinyls and all that stuff. They do a really good job marketing everything. They, they really do. You know, the great thing about working with earache is that they kind of have a, a gorilla warfare kind of approach to promoting records they're like let's get involved and let's push the hell out of it and let's do it at they act like they're like a super independent and they are an indie label anyway but they act like they're a street level pushing and pushing and trying to get as many people into what you do it's pretty awesome you know what about what about you, Josh? Are you guys on a label or you self-funding your records? Well we did that the first record, you know um we just independently released ourselves and then we signed with, uh, you know, Century Media. They have, yeah, a, I think I've heard of them. Yeah. Um, they, uh, started another, uh, side with, cause they were more of a metal label too. They started a more of an alternative rock side called an, another century, which we signed and did our second record on. And then Sony came in and bought them out and bought the company. Yeah. And so we were on that for a little bit, which we thought, they're like, oh, you're on a major now. Like, oh my God. It's yeah. And it didn't turn out to be so amazing. You know, it was, nah. it, it came to the point to where we, they didn't want us doing anything. And they're like, just wait, just wait. And you're like, okay, really? well, we've been waiting and waiting. And then, so we, we opted, we, we got out of that contract and, uh, went with an indie label called Still Horse. Cool. For third record. Uh, Sunshine, and that's the one we recorded here in our rehearsal studio, and we wound up having more hits on that, you know, than without the major than we ever did, you know. Uh, that one had 
I think I had four songs in the top 30 on Billboard Mainstream, which was great for us because we were blown away. Wow. Because we just, we found our indie and then they just believed in this. And we were the only mm. band that had. They outsourced everything. We just went and looked for the best radio guys and our the best publicist and kind of put it together like that. And then with this new record that we've got that's about to come out, we signed ironically back with, with Orchard, which is Sony distribution, you know? And, yeah. Uh, it's a wit hustle is the subsidiary. Yeah. And we're just getting ready to go with that. Um, Cause they have all the labels, like the, the past record, we brought in all the label services, so handpicked ourselves. And yeah. guys have, you know, Orchard, which is a big in-house kind of thing. So it's all under one roof right now, except for our publicist. We kept her cause she's, she's awesome, you know, but um, everything else is, uh, is kind of new to us. So, and we got new, we just got new management as well. Mark Pollock from the management company. So yep. uh, it's going, it's gearing up cause this record had kept, we, when COVID hit, cause we, we were from Phoenix but in the summer times here, it gets to like it's 120 degrees, you know, and you can't. It's uh, you can cook an egg on the sidewalk, you know. Wow. Yeah. <laughs> so right. We're usually on the road. Well, COVID hit, yeah. and you couldn't tour, and then also all the restaurants and bars were closed. So, you know, in oh, our man. our studio is like a cave, so there's no windows, so you never know. You know, we would just kind of get deeper and deeper in there. So I'm from the Ozarks, so we just packed up our studio. And in June, we went back to, you know, middle America, to Missouri, and set up our studio there at our head of our label's house. He's got a big old place. And we just cool. just stayed there from June until October, really made the record. So it's oh, just, wicked, man. Yeah, yeah. So it's a, it's finally coming out. And, you know, I think we're releasing the next single uh, March 9th or something like that. New single and video and everything. So... Yeah, so, it's just going. Did did you did you did you like so you made the record in a house and you were there for like a couple of months making the record? Yeah, yeah, we actually That's a cool way to do it. it well, in what the, the place we were at, uh, it was close to Lake of the Ozarks, which or, I mean, I'm sorry, Table of Rock Lake, which is a big lake out there. Yeah, and so they had boat, you know, they got a big boat and they got speed boat, and then the creek was close too. So anytime we hit like some kind of rider's block or we just or bored or just wanted to kill each other, we just go to the creek and crawdad or fish or camp or whatever the hell, you know. <laughs> nice, man. And so it was, it was, it was nice to go back there because we would have, we'd have killed each other or pulled our hair out if we'd have stayed in Phoenix for that summer. It just gets so hot. Like I said, I know all- what you mean. I know what you mean. You know, you know, we're all based in London and it sounds kind of cool, but when you want to make a record, you don't want to be in London because there's all this distraction and it's also really expensive. The studios in London are so expensive, but you, you, you know, I, I like to be distracted, not sorry, not distracted. When I make a record, I like to be away out somewhere different. And, you know, we, we were similar. We made, we made Mojo Skyline and our first record in this um, place in this tiny little village in, in out in the country called um, Tepri. And the studio was on a, a, a an industrial estate and so you have the entrance to the studio and you go in and then you have a next lot there'd be a a car garage then there'd be a motorcycle garage then there'd be all this other stuff and then there'd be like a factory next to it 
And our accommodation was in this emptied out dormitory by the factory. And so we'd finish up at, I don't know, whatever time at night. And you'd have to walk back in the dark through this scary, like serial killer infested, like dark factory with no lighting. And you go in this dorm and there's like 15 beds in there. And when you're all the band together tracking, it was awesome. You'd finish up for the night, you'd go and party, like, like really party. Like on the first album, we just partied so much. You know, (laughs) it's just like wrapped up. All right, let's do it. You know, we'd be up till fucking three in the morning, wake up in the morning, just walk about two minutes over to the studio and be like, oh. And our producer would be like, what are you guys doing? You know, vocals now, guitars now. The second time around was a bit more spread out, but. It was cool when we were all together, but sometimes I'd have to go back and do like vocals on my own. And so I'd finish recording the vocals at like, a you know, 10 at night or whatever. And then I'd come back and I'd be staying in this old factory dormitory with no one there. Like no one. Like it's like something out of Friday the 13th. And you're sitting <laughs> in this, this dark place in this dormitory on your own with like 15 beds around you. And you'd be like, oh, shit, I hope I don't get murdered. Uh, i was just watching a show like that oh my god that's yeah that's crazy well and we would go through that too because uh when we're making our second record it was we were touring a lot at that point uh, as well as uh, sunshine so we'd go out we recorded with with johnny k uh he's from chicago he did uh the disturbed record uh he just do plush Oh uh, yeah, he did that band plush, that old yeah. girl band. Um uh, shit, I don't know. Um yeah. you know, a bunch of people. He's done Shine Down, he's done uh anyway. Oh, yeah, nice. Really good dude. And so he would come down from Chicago and he would fly out here and we would we would do like you know, we out on the road for say a month or two. And then if we mm. had us off, we'd just come right back here and work for two weeks and he'd leave and we'd go right back out. So we were recording maybe songs like in like three, you know, three bunches or three songs here. And then, you know, a couple of months later, four songs here. So the records took like quite a bit longer and uh, yeah, it's new and it's called into the night. It's a, it's going to come out in May. It, it was recorded. It's the first time we all went and lived in a house together, you know, and just for months straight, give or take, you know, if we flew back for, to Phoenix for, a show randomly like we did like two or three live streams during that time, which were weird as shit because oh yeah, they are weird. And then they just, like, <laughs> you finish a song, it's like crickets. How are, weird is it? Yeah, our how song weird is so, that man? So funny. He he like cranked the cricket noise up after the tra- after we played the songs. You know, you're just like this is so strange. That's so the that- weirdest part when you finish a, when you when you finish a song in a live stream. It's so weird. We tried Sorry, one. Keep going, yeah, we tried one where we tried to talk to you. Like, you know, it was just too much. You couldn't keep up with the comments, and, and it was just, ah, oh, man. I'm, I'm <laughs> hoping those days come to an end, but you never know that shit could come back and bite us in the ass. But yeah, 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 I know what you mean. But making those records like that, and it was it, it was more frustrating because with the touring in between between making uh, you know tracking songs for an album. You don't get that risk of being burnt out because, like, once you're done on the road, after you're on the road, you're like, oh, I'm ready to get back to the studio. And then after being in the studio, you're like, oh, I'm ready to get back on the road. So it would work out that way. This time we just stayed in there for until we got it done for, you know, whatever time, the whole summer into the into Halloween, I guess. So 
Nobody... That's so cool that you had that you had such a long time to make it. You know, it was a couple of months. Oh yeah, yeah, and uh, and because we oh, made, wow, and I'll come in with some songs completely done. You know, to bring to the guys, and then at the same time we'll all sit and write together. So yeah. this I didn't have is because we when we came off the road in March, you know, everything got canceled. At, like March fourteenth is when our management was like because we were supposed to be playing March seventeenth for St. Patrick's Day in yeah. Utah somewhere and they called us they hit us up on the 14th after that last show and just said come home you're done everything's shut down and you know when you're on the road you live in a bubble you know we're on the bus and so we don't pay attention to anything but you know like Seinfeld reruns and shit like that you know? oh I know man I know I get it you wake up every morning you stumble out of the hotel and you get put in the van you're like right cool yeah. off you go yeah. and, you know, and then you get to the gig and you're like, okay, yeah, same shit, you know? It's not like you get Every, off yeah. nightly news and all that kind of stuff. So when they are like, you might want to grab some water and hand sanitizer and maybe toilet paper. And we're like, what the hell are you talking about? And I walked into a store. I'm like, they're saying we should get some water or hand sanitizer as the guys are getting gas. So I, was, I walked over to the store and I looked around and it was like a Twilight Zone episode. All the shelves were empty, you know? And people wow. were asking, like, looking at you all creepy-like. I was like, holy shit. So from then on, it was like we had – we packed up all of April and then started taking off about May because it takes – we took our time. It takes about, I don't know, 30 hours or something to get to Missouri from Phoenix. So Right. Yeah. Oh, man, I, I can't wait to come to America and, 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 and get on the road in America. It's kind of one thing I've always wanted to do because it's I, just – we want to come your way. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's like that, isn't it? You know, like, like I, what excites me about America is just, just, just so much space and so much territory to cover, you know. And, and you know, I, I just, I find, uh, me personally, I find America such a fascinating country, you know, and, and there's so much to it and there's so much culture to it and music is just, you know, I just, you know, LA, Nashville, New Orleans, you know, I, I just want to soak up all the music from all these different parts of yeah. the country. It's a trip, man. And you can tour for like two months in Texas alone, you know? That's what I mean, dude. That's what I mean. It's like endless. Yeah. So, um, but we got yeah. Europe, though. We've got Europe, though. So we can do a Mortlaw in Europe, which is cool. Yeah. I know. We, we want to get over there as soon as we can. We just, it's, it's harder. It's hard to break over here too because it's so massive. You know, I mean, we're at the point now because we just did the last tour of the Dead Daisies, and we went from, you know, Phoenix to all the way to Florida, up to New York to Seattle. We, I mean, we hit every corner of the country, and then and also in between. So it was, you know, it's hectic. Those guys were flying on a private jet, and so we're on the bus. So that was a little more. It was a little harder on us because we get there sometimes and. They wouldn't have a dress. I mean, we got the, we've only got a bus now, but we wouldn't, you know, it's like there's no dressing room. And if there's no showers at the gig and you've just been going all night, you know, for just driving like, you know, 20, you'll drive 20 hours straight sometimes. It's just, did you, did you, did you get to like talk to the dudes from Daisy's much or is it a pretty separate uh, kind of thing? No, they were great. Um, they were super cool. Uh, Doug Aldrich was playing guitar for those guys and he's yeah. the nicest guy. And Glenn Hughes was amazing. They're sweethearts. Like, yeah, yeah, really. And just legends. And so I actually got um, a Gibson deal 
Doug hooked me up. He's like, do you play Les Pauls? And I said, yes, I, you know, I'd love, yeah. you know, so, uh, so he hooked me up with those guys. And, uh, but yeah, that was, and before that, we had went out with White Snake, which was, no our, way. which was yeah. our, yeah, which was our first, uh, cause we can kind of, the way, the way our band is kind of, we can, you know, we can play with anybody from White Snake to, you know, the Goo Goo Dolls or, or it's kind of like us as well. You know, I get it. Like we're kind of, we can fit in a lot of areas, you know, That's what I thought when I was with you guys too. And so we went from, uh, we went out to with, with the Jim Blossoms first, which was, which was great. Cause there was theaters and that kind of thing. And then all of a sudden we're out with White Snake for six weeks and it's all these amphitheaters, you know, I remember Fuck. playing up there and, and not knowing for the longest time that there's jumbotrons on each side so I'd catch myself seeing myself up there and just like, while you're playing, I was like, holy shit, <laughs> you know, I'm huge. You know, that kind of thing. You're That's like, so cool, man. So, uh, so that was a so it, interesting. You say that we're actually doing a show. We're doing a festival of white snake in Spain. Really? Um, yeah. Yeah. We're playing, um, rock emporium. We're doing, um, it's with white snake and the scorpions. Oh dude. That's so amazing. Oh my God. Wow. Yeah. Wow. And black label, uh, and Black Label Society as well. Nice. And uh, it's, yeah, man. So, I mean, I'm really excited to play, you know, a show. I mean, That's- it's a festival built with White Snake and Scorpion. It's going to be wicked, man. That's what they're talking about doing. Because uh, uh, we have the same booking agent. Um, and they're talking about doing a tour over here in August with the uh, White Snake and, and the Scorpions. But, I don't know. I think it might got postponed or something like that because a lot of bands are doing that right now too, where, you know, they're like, yeah, we're announcing these tours again. The, the one that they postponed last time they're announcing now, you know, they're mm. and I'm seeing more reschedules for 2023. Like, yeah. Bitch, you know? Yeah. It's, it's sad, isn't it? Like a lot of, you know, so a lot of American bands that are coming over, you know, we were potentially going to support like at one point we were maybe going to support Buck Cherry. And then the guys, um, I think because of uh, booking conflict, because of our tour, um, another guys on our label, um, we, we ended up supporting him, but they canceled some of their shows and it was kind of got delayed. And I, I mean, I've been worried that, you know, cause we're about to go on tour with Smith Cotson and, um, and I've, I've been worried that that'll get cancelled. You know, we're, we're, this tour starts in Manchester next Sunday because I'm, I'm really excited about that. I was saying, you know, to Jay playing with Smith Cotson, you know, Adrian Smith from Iron Maiden and, yeah. you know, Richie Cotson. Richie Cotson's just like, yeah. those guys, yeah. those guys are legendary. Yeah. He came through here not too long ago. I remember seeing that name, seeing that name somewhere. I thought, yeah, they did a small run. They did a small run in the southwestern states, like California, Arizona, Vegas. Yeah, they never came to Chicago, which I'm still bitter about. But oh man, <laughs> cold, cold there. Well, yeah, that's the excuse. But you know, hey, you know, it's cold, but there's a lot of good beer. So, I yeah, I'm aware of that. Yeah, you, you gave my son, you gave my uh, my teenage son a, a beer holder, a koozie at the <laughs> show. <laughs> keep him cold, man. Keep your pants warm and keep your beer cold. That was one of the funniest <laughs> moments. 
when you did that, he was like threw it at him. He's like, Hey man, this is for your beer. And I kind of looked at you like, what are you doing, man? <laughs> <laughs> He's going to need it one day. <laughs> he still That's has what it. Happens. That's what happens when you introduce your kids to rock and roll guys, man. <laughs> <laughs> what do you expect? <laughs> right, right. No, he, he was actually able to meet Doug Aldrich after the show because my friend out in L.A. was able to get him a Marshall cabinet from the last tour he did with Whitesnake. Oh, really? Cool. So, you know, he's got this Whitesnake. It says it's A3, Aldrich 3 in his room, you know, and, he, and my buddy was able to hook him up with it. And he freaking loves it. So he says to Doug, he's like, Doug, I got your Marshall cabinet from your last Whitesnake tour. And like Doug had this look on his face like, cool. But then like, how did you get there? <laughs> and what, and he, he, the light goes off. He's like, oh, shit, I've been missing that thing. I, I didn't realize it's gone. <laughs> No, that was an amazing show, man. Um, you know, you guys were talking about your record labels in the beginning about majors and dealing with all that stuff. I've had a lot of conversations, you know, in the past couple of years about the focus for bands who are looking for that record deal when they should be, in my opinion, focusing on management deals instead of record deals because there's so much do it yourself now where you can do a lot yourself and not be handcuffed or hampered by a record label that happens. I mean, I've heard horror stories, especially over the last year, year and a half of music that will never be released because the record label has control of it. And then they left that record label. It's just been, it's been crazy to hear that. So I'm interested to hear your thoughts on that. Is it still something that you should chase after? Or is it, you know, spend your time chasing a management deal versus a record deal? Um. Well, do you mind if I go first, Josh? Um, So it's a good question, actually, because, like, we weren't really chasing a record deal. Um, We made our second album. We'd been working with our management, Nine Lives Management, Andrew Michael at Nine Lives, for a long time. And he'd been managing us and guiding us through the industry for a long time. And we'd been building out, following up. And, you know, we'd had a successful first album release independently. And, you know, classic rock magazine. I don't know if you get that out in America. Um, I love that. But they they were getting behind us and really into us on a small level. And we're, you know, there was a buzz there. But but we were like, you know, still pretty small. Um, But we made our second album. And we put all our money into it, you know, put everything. This is Mojo Skyline. And so we're at this point where we're like, we don't know what's going to happen. And we're just getting our manager to kind of shop the album to labels. And no one would take Mojo Skyline. No one was interested. They just said it sounds like every other rock band. And we were like, they're wrong. (laughs) But, you know, they can fuck off, you know. And so we were just... We were just a bit like, you know what, fuck them. We've made a great record. There's people out there who like the Dust Coder. We're just going to get out there and do our thing. We've got a manager, whatever. We had a bit of a deal potentially going on with Sony Publishing. That was kind of going along in the background. But the thing with us was we didn't really want a label. But what happened was it was kind of fate. March 2020, just before everything kind of just went downhill, right, as we all know. 
Yeah. We were doing, uh, we got a call and it was, hey, look, Ear 8 Records are doing a showcase in London and a band's pulled out. They need a band to come and join the showcase. And and we were like, oh, yeah, cool. It was like a Tuesday night gig at uh, the, the uh, Islington Academy in London. And we were just like, yeah, whatever, you know. It's another gig, fuck it, you know. It's a bit, it'll be cool. It'll be on a showcase for a label. But we were like, yeah, whatever. We'd already, I think our manager had already spoken to Eric a, a year before and they weren't that interested in us, whatever. So for our point of view, it wasn't like we were hungry for this label thing. But what ended up happening was because we didn't really give a shit at the time, <laughs> we, played, we, we played a showcase and we were like, you know, probably third band on. And it just so happens we played a killer, killer show. And the label were at the were label at the gig, and I was at the bars just drinking beers and whatever. And the and the and the the, the, the label manager at the time, Lewis, came up and started chatting, and and then Digby, the CEO, got came over and started talking to me. And I was I was still just I was a bit drunk to be honest, and I was a bit like, "Cool, man, yeah, that's great." I really wasn't thinking about it. And he said to me, and this is the pivotal point. I think the correct to answer your question, do you chase it? And I think you never chase it because if you really know what you're creating, the right people will want to work with you anyway, you know? And so uh, Digby, um, uh, you know, the label owner was like, so what are you guys up to? And I said, oh, you know, we just might be doing a deal with Sony, but uh, we've got our record. It's, you know, we've got a new record. We've made it. We were just shopping. And he said, What's it like? And I said, <laughs> I sipped my beer and I said, I mean, Digby, it's a modern classic. <laughs> <laughs> and he said, oh, well, I have to hear it then. I went, well, cool. You just need to talk to our manager, you know, you just go do that. And two weeks later, they'd heard Mojo Skyline and they were like, uh, let's talk. And about a month later, we signed a record deal. Wow. But the point is, and this is no disrespect to Earache because they have their own way of doing things, but we we joined forces with them because it was like they were really passionate about the album. And 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 we were chasing them and they weren't chasing us, but they heard it and went, yeah, we can do this and we can work with this. And we obviously saw their history and we were like, especially what they'd done with Temperance Movements, what they'd done with Rival Sons, you know, we were like, this is a great, this is a good match. And we were really excited by it. Yeah. So I think, you know, I think, I think it's like you, you establish your own fire and your own buzz and you make sure you know your own worth. And then if labels want to get involved, then you get involved with them. That's how I feel about it. What do you reckon, Josh? Yeah, I, that's it. And we, we did the same thing when we, when we got our deal uh, with another century it was kind of, they were just like down the, their offices were down the street from where we were. And they just yeah. kind of coming over because uh, our producer was friends with the guys from the label. So they'd come over for barbecues and we just had to be working on the record. And then there's just kind of offered us the thing and we went for it. But now I think because it's all numbers is everybody I talk to now in the business, they're like, well, what are your numbers? And it's this. Oh yeah. So fucking sick of hearing that. I mean, cause like there's good bands out there that is, that are starting up. They don't have, you know, 20,000 followers or, you know, or their Spotify numbers aren't fucking huge, but they're good. Yeah. So that, you know, 
but they're not going to get it. They're not going to get a second look because when they're and they're you know, they want you to go build your numbers and then come back to them. So, which I get, do all the hard work and then we'll come back and we'll help you out. So, um, <laughs> yeah, we'll make money out of you once you've done all the hard work. Yeah, once you're making your own money, then we're going to come and take some of that. You know, that's exactly. Yeah. But um, so yeah, it's kind of it's kind of yeah, not necessary to have a label. It's to to really to get to the to get to the um, Kings of Leon kind of status and that kind of thing having the majors they have the relationships with everybody that can put you in those can be like okay well you're going to go out with you know you too and then or free fighters or yeah. yeah and then they can put you in those situations where the indies and this kind of thing are tougher on that because especially now so many people are fighting to get on to tours because it's you know it, it's i don't i don't know that's a tough question i guess but like you said, you, you got, we got a manager. That's kind of the thing. And then if you got a good manager, people won't answer the phone. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. It's, it's, a, I mean, it's a tough one. You know, it's like, I feel like it's always just like trying to get onto the next level and they get onto the next level. And it's, it's you know, clicking up click. Yeah. You know, that's, it's like every time we go up one more click and just when you think it's, you know, we'll get beaten up and some days you're like, what the hell are we doing? You know? Ah, and then, and then other days you're like, this is why we do this, you know, kind of. Yeah. <laughs> and then three weeks later, you're yeah. playing to like fuck all people for some yeah. reason. And you're like, why do I do this? Yeah. <laughs> or, you're, or it's like you're standing outside some fucking venue in Manchester at three o'clock in the morning and it's pissing down and you're uh, putting shit into a van and you're like, ah. Uh, and, you, uh, and you've got no rider and like you, your dressing room just was like nothing. And you're like, this is shit. And then a week later, you're playing in this amazing place. And it's just up and down, up and down, right? It's, it is that way. That's why a lot of people can't, you know, we've had um, uh, people in the band before. Like, I mean, not a lot, just uh, another bass player with time, all this kind of thing. And they just, you know, and other tour managers, they just they aren't built for the road. And we're like, you know, like. We are. We we know what we want. We know that's how you're gonna. That's how it's work. That's why it's working. Is because we went out there and you know sometimes we had to sleep on the stage that we played at because the venue guy felt so bad for us because it was so cold and we were gonna sleep in the van. <laughs> you know. So wow. We could stay and we you know we've curled up next to our amps and shit a few times on you know when we first started out because we would just get a map out and be like well we know people in this town we know people in this town this town and we we would map our own tour, which is just terrible. Cause then sometimes <laughs> you get to towns and you'd pull up to set up and the, the guy like, Oh, we didn't know you were supposed to play. And you're like, what the shit? We just, we had called it like, you know, two months ago and locked this thing in. And so like, well, sure. You want to get up there. And then it's just the bartender and you know, your sound guy is who you're playing. <laughs> oh man. I know. I mean, back in the early days, we, 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 we'd drive, I swear to God, we'd drive to one side of the of England to the other for like, you know, not maybe the other side, but we'd drive from London to Wales. And that's a long way, man. It's like six <laughs> six hours straight for one gig yeah. <laughs> on a Saturday. And we get paid like 60 quid and we play the show. And this is years ago. It still makes me feel fucking pain in my heart thinking about <laughs> it. Like, oh, 
you play the show, you'd have a few beers and then we'd drive back and you'd be like back nearly in, outside of London at four in the morning. You'd be like, what the fuck am I doing? <laughs> but you know what the best thing is though? For me, I don't know. You, I'm sure you've had the same thing. When something clicks, you know, like I remember when we first started really getting out there on our first album, self, you know, independent, self-funded album. And I remember playing one show. I think it was, um, I think it was in Birmingham. And it was a, it was a, I don't know what night it was. Who knows? You never know what night it is. Yeah. And I remember playing, we we're opening for some other band. I remember playing. And just as we finished our last song, I looked over at the side of the stage at the merch stand and there was like 40 people lining up outside our merch stand. This is probably six, seven years ago now, five or six years. I don't know. Long time ago. And I just remember going, fuck, all these people are like wanting to buy our music. And I remember the first time I started really seeing, standing there, selling CDs, signing CDs to all these people and selling T-shirts going, wow, these are our people. You know what I mean? Oh, but, yeah. And they're like, and they're like talking to us and be like, man, like, you know, I've heard, I've, I've heard this on Spotify and I love this. I want to get your CD and your album and your t-shirt. And, you know, you guys are our favorite, band. whatever, you know, all that yeah. stuff. And, and, and I remember going, ah, this it's is working. the thing. <laughs> yeah. This is the yeah. Thing. yeah exactly. P- people are digging it. People are, you know, and people are, and, and when you hear people get passionate, about what you're doing when people are like oh do you know what man like you know that that song sun goes down off your first record oh fuck i was with my girlfriend and she pissed me off and i heard that and i I was like cool man and then and then you start going wow okay that's here and then you know if 40 people at this little gig in birmingham are buying you know albums and cds and you're like well there must be another couple of thousand of them somewhere and then next, and then it just keeps going and going and going. Then you sometimes you look out in the crowd and you see like half of them got dust coated t shirts and you're like, ah, yeah, this was worth it. That six hour drive back, you know, the twelve hour round trip was actually worth it. Yeah, man, I get it. I know exactly what you're saying. It's not the business part of it. Is why we got into it. <laughs> it's no, no. Well, that's the thing yeah. too. Like you know, when you when you hear the emerging bands and see the emerging rock scene with bands in the uk europe the states wherever i have this feeling that you know from my generation of music when i was listening to when i was a teenager i feel that there's more of an authenticity with the newer bands today you know because it's not like it was you know i mean if you got a if you got a a a video on mtv you were going to be huge right i mean Mm. that's i mean i mean it took a lot to get there but once you hit that, I mean, it was pretty much paved. The rest of the journey was paid for you. Whereas now, you know, whether it's both the bands that you guys are in or other new emerging bands, there just seems to be a realness that there's a passion for the music and a want to do it. Not just, not just this, this, I mean, everybody wants to reach that level. Right. But, you know, it's not like it was before where you really are into it. You're really doing it because you love it. Yeah. yeah. Well, they said too, because uh, uh, if if your if your band or what if they, if they didn't come out of this with new music, you know, then what were they doing? Because you have nothing but time during these COVID times to to sit and write, you know, or 
we we never stop working. So we're the touring, and if we're not touring, we're in the studio, and then you know the way that goes back and forth. So we never take really any time off unless it's a few days here and there just to get away from each other so we don't kill each other because we live together and everything. It's just go go go. So yeah, was the other day I read an interview, but. Keep working, man. That's all you got to do, right? Keep on keeping. Oh, yeah. <laughs> yeah, like a bird that flew. <laughs> <laughs> you know, oh, man, I know what you mean. When we're, 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 we're making, um, <clears throat> we're about to start, well, we're starting pre-production for our next record, actually. Um, we're uh, going to the studio for a, a pre-production day, uh, first weekend of April. To, to demo about probably 17 songs live. Oh, nice. For, for a couple of days, just live demos. And then we're going to give them to the label and then, you know, and then we'll go and make the album sometime this year. But I'm, I'm excited. It's, it's like, it's great to have like the pressure and the, you know, and the excitement. Hey, we get to go and make another record. It's so exciting. It's like, are you guys doing it yourself or who's producing it? Uh, so we haven't got, well, here's the, here's the interesting part. The guy who produced our first two records, he's an awesome producer. His name's Clint Murphy. Um, and he, but he lives over in New Zealand and, wow. um, he moved to New Zealand recently. And so it's all up in the air. I, I want to use him. I think the rest of the band want to use him, but it's whether, the label, financing, schedule, uh, all the shit, you know, the bug, all the stuff that's got to come, and also availability of the studio and the time frame in which we need to use it, you know, all this sort of stuff, because you know, we're going to need a particular kind of studio to make the record we want to make. Um, I really hope we get to use him again. Um, I, I have a feeling the stars will align. Um, but, you know, if not, We'll have to use someone else, which I'm sure they'll be fine as well. But that's the thing. It's like you just don't know what's going to happen when you make a record. I know. You know, you just don't know. You don't know what's going to happen. And then it come, you come out the other side and you're like, fuck, that's what happened. Yeah, I know. It's crazy because when you get in the middle of it too, when you're just doing it straight through, it starts to feel like an uphill battle, you know? Yeah. You know? And then – and all of a sudden, it's you know you're like, oh shit, we're done with it, and you listen back and you're like, holy shit, As, and where we were too, like I said, in the in the country recording the last one, I think a lot of that set like creeped into the songs because it's more of a, it's definitely more of a loose looser exile on Main Street type of a feel than you know, it's got rockers on it, but it's like, it's definitely not as, I don't know. It's not as active rocky, I guess, as the last one kind of came out. I would say it's a lot more loose, a lot more acoustic guitar stuff, I think. And, I, I, I love recording acoustic guitars. Yeah. You know, you know, it's my favorite thing to record in the studio. Yeah, they're pretty. <laughs> Do you know why? It's because usually when I record acoustic guitars, it's because mostly everything else is tracked. So it's like most of the work is done. Yeah, you get to fill in the blanks and that kind of thing. It's just like yeah. you know what I mean. Like, like, oh, you know, mostly, usually, most of the time, the vocals are done, and that to me is the biggest challenge, just getting that out of the way. And so when you sit down and whack down some acoustics, it's usually like I'll crack a beer and I'll be like, yeah, cool, let's just do this, easy peasy, and everything else is done. You're like, ah, 
the record's nearly finished, you know. <laughs> yeah, when it comes time for that, yeah, exactly. That's great, man. As far as you mentioned writing during the pandemic, you know, there was a lot of downtime, you know, a lot of a lot of guys kind of went in their bubble and just recorded and, you know, kind of forgot about what was going on in the world and just focused on the music. Um, I've talked to a lot of bands. That, I mean, they've got enough for two albums. And, you know, the idea is for a lot of them that, you know, that lost time of not being able to play and getting out in front of people, selling merch, they want to stay out now as long as they can, you know, so if they have music where they can do two albums while they're doing, you know, a, a tour cycle or, or different tour cycles or a couple of different EPs is another route that a lot of guys are going. What's your perspective on that? I mean, is that what, I mean, I know you were in the studio a couple of weeks ago, Josh in Santa Monica. Was that for this album or was that for another project? It's actually, cause this one's done. So we, we went out there and, uh, because our producer we did the first two records with, uh, he's been out there making records, Jim Kaufman, one of our good friends. And so we have what we worked with him on the past two albums. And he just called me up and said, because we have a great time. He's one of our, like I said, one of our best friends. So we have a blast when we're, when we're working together. And he just said, come out. And I said, well, you know, our new record is just now getting ready to come out. I said, I don't care. Let's just go in. So we, we actually went in with, uh, it was Jim Kaufman and then Daryl Thorpe. I don't know if you know who he is. He, uh, we got to bar him from the Foo Fighters for a week because he's working on a record with those guys. And, and that's then, cool. Yeah, he was he's working with them and left them to come over to us at United Oceanway is what it was, and then which is a beautiful studio. Um, all these pictures of Frank Sinatra on the wall and you know, someone like Don Waz was always there. Brian Wilson, all this crazy shit. But yeah, yeah, he. Uh, we worked with him for four days in there. We did four 12 hour days. And then, uh, then when we, the day that we were done, he stuck around cause he was working with Beck the next, he's won like nine Grammys. This guy's just incredible. Wow. Yeah. He is Beck, just, Beck's a legend, man. Dude, he's, it's so funny. Cause after I worked with Daryl, I, I went on like the wormhole on the inter, on the internet machine and I just like found everything. So I'm seeing him standing on stage with Beck getting, you know, a Grammy and it's just really it was surreal. But, uh, yeah, we just, we went in and, you know, just well, recorded just for fun. Just like, well, we were, again, what we were talking about, you don't know what the record's going to be like. You know, when you go in to make it, it's, you might have this one way of thinking and then it comes out a total different way. And we weren't sure what to expect. And then we went and I think we got 10 songs total. And that was just in one stab. I mean, we were exhausted by the end of the week, but, uh, Having that, and like you were saying too, Jay, when touring does open up again, you want to be able to, you're not sure how long that's going to last again. It's yeah. the, it's going to fuck up. So you just, you know, we want to be able to be out there because we were planning on being out for three, three or four years straight before the pandemic hit. You know, we, we knew it's going to take that to really build us up the way, you know, the grassroots way we were doing things. And so when this touring opens back up this time, we plan on having, you know, we don't want to have to take off unless, you know, we're made to again. That kind of thing. Yeah. Yeah. No, it's, it's interesting perspective from a lot of different bands that are out there, you know, making music. Um, you know, a lot of, a lot of bands still haven't released the album they recorded in the summer of 2020 or, or even, even the winter of, of 2019, you know, I mean, there's still bands that are hanging on to that stuff and, 
I can't imagine staying connected with something for two and a half years or two years or whatever, and having it finally come out when you're working on stuff that is new and fresh for the next album. How, how do you guys, you know, if you've experienced that, how do you navigate through that connecting, reconnecting with stuff that you've already kind of moved forward on, even though it hasn't been released? Um, I, I don't have a, I don't struggle with that because like, once I've made a record, I so far have felt really proud of that, and I feel like it's a it's a capturing a part you know a part of my life in a particular time of my life. And taking that thing on the road, playing it live, I just I just relive it every time. Like I don't get sick of it. Like so, you know. Interestingly, so we're prepping for the the Smith Cotson tour, and. You know, the last tour we did, the headline tour in the UK we did in December, we did all pretty much Mojo Skyline tracks to promote the record uh, with a couple of tracks off our first album. This time around, we're like, you know what? Let's 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 dig back into the first album and pull out some numbers off that that we haven't toured for like a couple of years. And it's interesting, you know, to go back to that stuff again. It's like it's like it's like hanging out with an old girlfriend. <laughs> you know, it's it's like, hey babe, yeah. <laughs> remember me? <laughs> you know, like it's like, yeah, I fucking remember this one. And it's it's so funny. We're in the rehearsal room the other day, and and, and Adam Mackey, the guitar player in, in the band who I formed the band with, we're playing a song called "The More It Fades." We haven't played it together in years, you know, because we've been doing Mojo Skyline promoting that. And we looked at each other. And we're like, yeah, this is a fucking great track. Yeah. <laughs> we're like, yeah, man, I can't wait to play this. On the- yeah. So, yeah, yeah it, it, I, I'd never get sick of playing our stuff, you know. I, and I'm proud of that because it means I feel like we've made some records that can last. So, yeah, that's how I feel about it. Yeah, I mean, the biggest problem I have with those kind of songs is relearning them. <laughs> mm. <laughs> like, ah, shit, how did this go? It takes me a minute. But it usually comes back pretty quick, you know. Well, you know, it's interesting, Josh. I was thinking about this because I've been re <clears throat> relearning how to sing one of the, one of the songs. Um, I don't know if you've experienced this, but like <clears throat> songs that you performed vocally, like you know, on a record like five or six years ago. Do you find because as your voice evolves as you get older, you have to adjust how you sing some of the songs you recorded when you were younger, or well, do yeah. you have that? Or yeah, there was a lot. <clears throat> For some reason, when we first, because I wasn't the singer in the band initially, there were, we were four piece, and yeah. <clears throat> I, you know, I really love just being the guitar player and the harmony guy. You know, that's uh, so easy, isn't it? It's, <laughs> it's just stress free, and you know, yeah, I, man, it's so was, easy. Those are the days, and then all of a sudden, uh, he got sick and couldn't tour, and so, uh, so we auditioned some guys. And we were always tuned to E and I'm just like, son of a bitch. You know, I, I mean, I can put, record these songs on like on a record, but to go out and play them every night like that. So that's when I discovered, I was like, what Hendrix does what he did. He tuned down a half a step. It's like, oh, dude. Off. I'm like, what? So, uh, 
Dude, yeah, it's the way forward, man. Yeah, that's that's what's helped me a bunch. And I was like, there's just no way. But yeah, and I, I find that just like just breathing techniques and a lot of stuff. Like, you know, because the first record, I was really just kind of getting my getting my bearings as far as being a singer, and so mm. being able to go back and I was like. I definitely, my voice is a lot stronger and I know how to, you know, so it caused me to change some phrasings and stuff like that just because it's like proper breathing or, or this kind of yeah. shit. Also, I don't have to get kicked in the balls to hit those high notes like that anymore. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> oh man, e, e flat is the way forward, dude. Like I, I, I've been, I've been into E flat for years and it, yeah, I mean, I have to do a lot of work to main to you know maintain my voice and adjust it for the, the tours and stuff. I, I went through a period actually in uh in COVID because I because I wasn't touring, I wasn't playing any shows where I, I really didn't practice enough and my voice I lost a lot of my voice kind of took a long time to get back on track once we started touring again. Yeah. Like I had to really work at it because I just hadn't been I hadn't been singing live, you know, and for me it's different performing live to in the studio like there's a different approach because you have to you have to be on stage for you know a longer time and you can't just stop and have a breath or whatever you got to keep doing it yeah so i had to do a lot of work to get myself match fit again to be on the road but i'm excited about it now but yeah yeah i've got i mean all i mean the guys in you know that are like you know in their like 50s and 60s all the dudes in like white snake and death leopard and all that they all tune right down now yeah, yeah, yeah. I noticed you know, out and those. Yeah, yeah. I don't feel I don't feel any guilt. <laughs> well, talking no, about man. you know some of those guys. I mean, you had the you know the pleasure of hearing Glenn Hughes every night. Oh my God! That, let me just say, and he's he's a a badass bass player too. And you forget he's up there playing bass because he sings like his voice is just like I don't know how he does, it, dude. And he's seven, I think, something like that. And just, it's incredible. You just, uh, I, I can't even explain it. It was just so next next level. It does was, he have a lot of volume or does he quite, like, yeah. I don't know if you can tell, but, like, does he does he sing quite close to the mic and he might have the tone, but he reduces the volume and let the PA do the work or is he quite a powerhouse? He's a powerhouse. It's just, and he's just this, you know, God, he's, you just want to hug him. He's just so amazing. You're like, ah, and just so sweet and soft-spoken. I'd see him after the show, and he's like, oh, Josh, you know, great show. And he's like, I really love you. <laughs> I was like, oh, I love you too, Glenn Hughes. <laughs> oh, <my God. laughs> I, I, I had him on the podcast a year and a half ago, and I asked him about his singing. I go, I go how, do you, how do you still hit these notes? And he says, I stay present in the moment. I don't stress out about what I have to do 30 seconds from now in the song. I just stay present. And then when I got to hit it, I hit it. And he and does. I'm like, wow. When, that first show we did with him, we were all just kind of like, you know, jaws dropped. It's like, holy shit. Because <laughs> like I said, he's so soft-spoken when we met him. And, and I had never seen him live. And he comes in and just wrecks shop. I was blown away, man. But, um, and even Coverdale, you know, when those guys, that was really cool being out with them because, uh, you know, our dressing rooms are always next, if they were always next to each other. So they warm up because there's no tracks, nothing on those guys, you know, that's all their vocals. And mm. so 
that was one of the cool things was getting to sit next to the having sharing that wall. And so we just listened to him warm up before the set and the harmonies were just, you know, it was crazy cool. That was, that was, that was the, some of the highlights of that. All that, cause both those bands are pros. We weren't really great at warming up before shows. We never really sat together as a group before that. And then after going out with both those bands, we always take 30 minutes and get loose because I would never, I was never a warm up guy with none of that shit. Yeah. And now it's now it's key to what we do. It's it. it I mean, it puts you in a good headspace too. You know, everybody's out of the dressing room. It's just we got three guys or whatever, and we just and then get loosened up because I, normally I was it would be. We started playing these sets. You know, when you're opening up for somebody, you'll play thirty minutes sometimes. It's, well, shit, mm. warmed up about twenty six minutes into the set. <laughs> you know, and yeah, so, you know, warming up before we go out. It's really made a lot of difference, and we learned it from those guys. That is so important. I, I have to do a pretty big vocal warm up now, um, like a good twenty minutes, yeah. just on the vocals. We'll see. And with being with being the singer and stuff now, like everything fun that I used to do, I had to quit doing because it hurts my voice. Uh, wait, <laughs> do, you, do you drink before you go on stage anymore? Uh yeah, I definitely drink because that calms my nerves. But as far as uh, anything else, yeah. you know, yeah, no, yeah, 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 can't even do it. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I think the guys are all like, "Yeah, fuck, they're having a great old time." And then, oh, you know, I know, man. And after the show too, because we're doing like five shows in a row, they're like, "Yeah, we're gonna go out." And they're like, "Well, I'm going to the hotel and watch Netflix, I guess, you know, or whatever the hell it is." Because it know. sucks, doesn't it? It's yeah. like you know, you're like, I want to stay out and party all night. And yeah. to be honest, sometimes, sometimes I act do as well. I sometimes I do stay out really fucking late and i wake up in the morning i'm like oh get into the fucking tour van i'm like oh six hour drive get stressed because you're not you're like uh if i can't hit if i can't sing this song tonight because i was up till five this morning i'm gonna wanna kick my own ass you know so yeah exactly so you got i've had to become a lot more disciplined um and you know you look at some of these big big legends man they, they don't they look after themselves you know what? Yeah, the days of like cocaine and strippers had gone by the wayside. You know that kind of disappeared. I think when you know Nirvana and those guys came in, all that kind of stuff went away. And now everybody's mm. you know, they travel with their yoga instructor and shit instead of their drug dealer. <laughs> yeah, well, it's funny. I was chatting to a guy the other night who was I was at a, a, a dude's show the other night as an acoustic singer songwriter. Um, and he made a really good point. And he said, you know, back in the 70s and even the 90s, you know, when lots of people were even having the crazy rock and roll lifestyle and, you know, doing all sorts of shit and getting fucked up before going on stage, people weren't recording their shows with phones. Right. You know, so unless it was being like properly recorded by a broadcast quality camera for a TV show, right. you could fuck up a gig yeah. and no one would really know the next show. You might get people talking about it, but there was no social media this media to say, oh, do you know what, you know, yeah. Robert Plant fucked up last night or Lane Staley, you know, was right. smacked up his head and couldn't sing. And they just relive it over and over again because it's always going to be alive on the internet. You know, it's you're right. Yeah. So now it's like you do a fucked show, man. You sing badly. You might do a hundred great shows. You do one show where you sound a bit shit because you're tired and you've been on the road and you haven't slept 
And, and, and people are like, eee. Oh, the trolls come out. I know, man. Well, that, that, that's frustrating for me for being a rock fan because I love that, that energy and I love that rawness. You know, you, you never know what show you're going to get because that's the school that I'm from, right? Like, yeah, you know what? Maybe this guy wasn't his best performance, but it was still cool, right? I mean, it was still like, you know, now. I think a lot of young fans sit there like this, you know, with their, with their arms across their chest, like impress me, you know, like, like, you know, and I, I think that is so not rock and roll. Well, that's what I like is, uh, you know, Jack White, he's really adamant about everybody checks their phone at the door when they come in. There's no phones allowed at his shows. You know, that's, that's true. So- yeah. So I saw the rank of tours. I took my son to see the rank of tours up in Milwaukee three summers ago, two summers ago, whenever it was so hard to gauge time these days. So you had to put your phone in a pouch and you, you know, you had a key and then like you, you brought the pouch out and they unlocked it for you. But I will tell you when they came out, they came out swinging and it was like a jet plane taken off and the synergy with the crowd, because everybody was present both physically oh, yeah. and mentally. It, the show was just absolutely amazing. And I think it had a lot to do with the fact that people were no longer with their heads down, texting someone or, you know, posting where they're at or, or yeah, whatever. Yeah, the guy behind them has to watch the show through their oh. cell phone. You know, that's what drives me nuts. You see somebody with a big old iPad out there because they're filming the show and the person behind them has to watch it through their iPad because they can't see around that person. You know, it's crazy what I've seen. So we, we do a show. We haven't done it in a while, but we, we do this with my buddy, Chris, we do this show called tales of the douche. And it's about, (laughs) it's about people we encounter at rock shows, you know, who, uh, you know, either are walking obstructed view that are like, they're like six foot six and they want to stand in front of everybody or loud talkers at a show and so what inspired these episodes was we were at Rival Sons in Chicago. And um, I'm standing next, and this woman is FaceTiming someone at the front of the stage with her, with her iPad. Another uh. woman is trying to talk to her babysitter during the concert, and she's screaming at the top of her lungs, I can't hear her. Well, I'm like, why would you think you could hear her? You're at a fucking rock and roll concert. Like, what are you doing? You know, and it was just everybody was just there was like 25 percent of the audience that was not focused on the show. But it ruins it for the 75 percent that are. And it's like when you do put your phone in a pouch, it, it just eliminates all that distraction for the people that are there and for the people that can't stay off their phone. Well, we saw that. I remember when we were out with Whitesnake. Yeah. Cause nobody knew who the hell we were. So you would see the, and the, you know, you'd see like 3000 people's faces because they didn't give a shit because their faces would be lit up from their being on their phones waiting for wife. Oh man. So you're like, God, we got, you know, and eventually you could tell once they started put, you know, putting their phones down, like we got a song or two into it. They they'd all start coming around. Eventually, you know, we were doing really well on it. But at first, the first initial thing was like people, you know, if, if they don't, they didn't care. So that was the most disheartening thing is look out and just see the audience's faces because their phones were lighting up because they were just, you know, doing this during your fucking set. It's like, ah, brutal. I saw Butch Walker in concert several years ago and he was doing a song that was just on piano. And, you know, Butch is one of my favorite artists. And uh, these two, two or three girls were talking at the front of the, um, at the show, he stops the song mid song 
and he goes, Hey, do you want me to stop until you guys are done talking? You know, I don't want to, I don't want dis- to distract you guys. Awesome. And they looked like they were horrified. Like, but it's the truth, man. It's like, you're ruining it for everyone around you. The musicians don't want to hear your conversations. I mean, you're there to see you bought tickets, right? Enjoy yourself. Yeah. I don't get it. I don't get it. I don't get it. It's, it's just, um, it's crazy. You know, what, one of the other things too, you know, to kind of get back to what we were talking about. Um, when I was talking with John Notto about dirty honey, dirty honey, still independent. They don't have a record deal. And I asked him, you know, if he would ever, if they would ever do a record deal, he said, if it made sense. But one of the things that he said too, is the people that are around him and kind of what you said, John, that are passionate about the band, they have a very small group of people, you know, publicist management, and you know, they don't have a, they don't have, they don't have a big um, uh, support group. They have a very small one. And I think that's also very helpful because you have people that want to see the band succeed and mm. they don't have a lot of people on their rosters. They don't have, you know, they're dedicated to the cause of that band. And I think that's also important too. Yeah. They have really good management too. I think they're with red light. Those cats are with Wolfgang and all that stuff. That's what they just did the Black Crows tour, which is amazing. Like, yeah. Been a couple of shows with those guys. No, that yeah, is so that. important, man. Yeah. It, it, we, we, we can feel it with the kind of tribe we have around our band. You know, it's everyone. Well, you, especially when you're on the road, you just feel like you're this traveling entity. And, and especially if you've got a, a crew, you know, whoever's with your crew at the time on the road that really knows that everything is about the show and getting it right for the people, you know, whether it's your merch guy or your your stage manager, and then, you know, you might have your label coming in, you know, to see some shows. And if everyone's really invested in it, it feels like you, you feel like you're building something that's bigger than yourself. It's not just about you being a fucking musician. It's like, it's like, yeah, like, I've got to do my bit, which is like sing like a badass every night because John's doing the merchandise and we want to make sure everyone gets the merch that they want and the, you know, and everyone kind of works hard and you kind of feel like you're fulfilling this thing. It's not really about you. It's about this band that people want to see because they they heard a record and they want to come and see that record live and get the best show you can give them. And I find it, I find the more you work with people that are passionate about what you're trying to achieve, the more it makes you do your best, uh, do your part the best you can. Agreed. Is there still anticipation with both you guys or did the pandemic kind of temper that? You know, I mean, a lot of people are enthused about new music, but is it still kind of like, yeah, we're enthused about it, but we don't know what's going to happen. Is is that passing or is that still a thing? Is that still a presence in how you guys think and how you guys plan out things? Uh, I, I, we, we, we try to be optimistic, you know, now our agent in, um, in who books us for Europe and England, he just, just keeps booking shows. We're still, I mean, we're booking up 2023. We're starting to, um, you know, um, and our, you know, our label, we are, we're all just like, no, let's just, let's just be optimistic and just assume that things are going to grow. We're going to make this new record. We're going to put it out. Hopefully we'll get over to America, you know, hopefully things open up enough where we could come to the States, maybe sometime on this next album. Um, who knows? That would be great. Is your agent 
Yeah, Route One bookings, Ben, because we, you know, we 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 know him personally. Right. So, um, yeah, yeah, Route One bookings. Um, Ben's Ben's also he um he's in a pretty legendary um English bank, um that has been around for a while called Orange Goblin. Um, you should you should check him out. So he kind of had a lot of experience touring around around you know Europe and the UK, and he's played with some absolutely massive bands, and so he became an agent probably a couple of years ago, two years ago now. So we've been with him um, for quite a while, and he's been great. Orange what? Orange Goblin. And um, his, um, he, yeah, his, his agency is Route 1 Booking. Oh, checking it out. Adding it to my list. Yeah, yeah, definitely. I mean, if you guys, um, if you guys want to, um, you know, do any UK stuff, I'll happily introduce you. That's uh, you manage it. That's what I was gonna because um we're with uh we're with CAA over here. And so mm-hmm. say the same thing with you guys. I was gonna have Joe reach out to him and talk and see if we can do something, you know. Awesome, man. I mean, um absolutely. You know, um if if you wanna I mean if you you wanna email me or you know, we, we can um we can connect out your, your manager or we can connect him with our manager and talk to, you know. Um, our, our agent, absolutely, and, and vice versa. I don't know when we'd be able to get to America, but fuck, man, it'd be amazing. It'd be great to play together anyway, in whatever capacity. Dude, yeah, for sure. As long as you guys play Chicago, I'm I'm completely fine with it. <laughs> <laughs> you know, it's like, hey, I'm here, just you know, Chicago, um, which is yeah, a great town. There's so many venues. Yeah, I'll just make sure, Jay, that I'll make sure I'll. Uh, you know, Josh and I'll make sure we give your son lots of beer. Yeah, we'll give him the beer. We'll give beer. As long as it's for me and not my son, you know. <laughs> your son's like, your son's like, goes missing. He's like, where were you, Jay? He's like, where were you, son? He's like, oh, don't worry, we're with Josh and John. We just been down the road at the Irish bar, man. <laughs> we're in Wisconsin now. Yeah, <laughs> we've been listening to some rock and roll. Well, you know, I, I, I love ACDC's first album, Dad. I'd never heard it before. <laughs> <laughs> no, I mean, uh, yeah, no, that would not be a good situation. Um, no, I, because no, his mother would easy. not be happy with me. <laughs> no, <laughs> but hey, man, it's been uh, it's been a blast. I, I thank you both for doing this. Um, I'm glad we were able to do it. Uh, great conversation. Um, love both of you guys and the bands that you guys are in. Uh, you know, hopefully this is a, a big year for both of you guys into this year and into next. Cause you know, Josh, you got you, your new album coming out in the spring and are you going to have something out by the end of the year? Or you think into next year, John? Uh, it'll be next year for a release. Okay. You know, cause we won't, we won't finish the recording. I don't know. We're still putting dates in. So the recording fingers crossed will be done by this year. So it'll be early next year that we have a release. I don't know the exact date that the label will schedule. <clears throat> and then Josh, you got the album coming out and uh, you're going to be touring after that. Yeah, we're putting, I think, like I said, the next single Saturday night comes out. Love that song. That song, you, you guys played that live when I, when I saw you. Yeah, yeah, that was on the set. Uh, so that comes out the 25th, or it's supposed to be February 25th. It's now, it's like mid-March, I think. And then um, we're going to do a one or two more, like two more singles, and then we'll drop the record when we drop the last single or something like that. I don't know. I know the record should be out around Memorial Weekend or whatever in May. So that's 
hopefully, you know, shit always gets pushed back or something changes or who knows, but that's the tentative working dates. So awesome. Awesome. Looking forward to it. Well, guys, nice talking with you, John. Nice to meet you and see you personally, finally, and you know, over you too, man. (laughs) Absolutely. Great to meet you as well, Josh. I'll email you too. So we can, yeah, man, do it for sure. All right, guys, Jay, appreciate you, buddy. I'll talk to you guys soon. All right. Thank you. See you guys. Everybody, that's John and Josh from Dustcota and the Black Moods. I'm Jay Scott. This is The Hook Rocks. Take care of each other. Stay strong. Stay safe. We'll talk soon. Thanks. She gets up, takes one last look behind her. You passed out on the couch last night. Ain't ever gonna find her. Screen door creaks, freeze up, butterflies are mine. She got just enough for the boss, nobody say I'm tied to her. Yeah, it feels like it might be okay. There's something different about the way she feels today. She gets out of feels like the summer is already It's NFL draft season, and that means it's time to start thinking about fantasy football. FantasyPoints.com features industry-leading experts and prognosticators using proprietary hand-charted data to help you score more fantasy points. FantasyPoints.com is the place to go for whatever kind of fantasy football you play. Whether you play fantasy football, daily fantasy sports, or do a little bit of everything, Fantasy Points has the meticulously researched content to guide you to victory. And why wait for the fall? Fantasy Points also covers the new spring football league, the UFL. Join the guru, John Hansen, Scott Barrett, Joe Dolan, and other massive names in the fantasy football universe with an exclusive offer. Use code Pantheon for 15% off any Fantasy Points package, including the all-in package, with access to every article, tool, and data nugget that Fantasy Points has to offer. That's FantasyPoints.com and code Pantheon for 15% off at Fantasy Points. FantasyPoints.com, code Pantheon. Score more Fantasy Points.